Good morning. I always, have, I always have to check if my microphone's on because, or off, because sometimes you'll hear me singing harmonies when I'm not even on stage. So I'm always nervous about that. Well, welcome. Uh, happy Mother's Day, uh, as Eugenia said, to all the women. Um, you may not be uh, a biological mother to someone, but uh, I'm just so um, grateful for the language that Scripture gives us for family because it's bigger than just the people who live in my home. Uh, it's this. This is our family, right? And, and I'm also so grateful for the language Scripture gives because God is often referred to as a father, but God is also compared to a mother multiple times because he wants us to know that imagery that he loves and cares and protects us. So to all of the women here and, and teenage girls here, that, especially those that serve in Powerhouse, you are a spiritual mom or a spiritual auntie to somebody, and that really matters. And we're just so grateful to be a church that honors and lifts up women. Um, so, uh, like Eugenia said, all the ladies of the church, gift for you on your way out. Get a, get a picture together, and it's going to be uh, a great day. Um, today, I get to talk about the most controversial of our pillars of strategy, because as elders chose some language that not everybody loves, but we're going to break it down today. We're talking about dangerous justice and mercy, and this can be a heavy topic, and it can actually be a controversial topic when we talk about justice and different visions of what justice is, but... I want to start it out with some fun. We're going to play a little game called Is It Dangerous? Say that with me. Is it dangerous? I always wanted to be a game show host. When I stayed home from school, Price is Right, that's what I would watch. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to flash an animal on the screen, and you're going to shout out whether you think it's dangerous to humans or not. Okay? The very first one, the manta ray. Hands up if you think it's dangerous. It is not dangerous. It is the biggest of the rays, but it has no stinger, and it can't really bite you. It has a filter mouth that filters out small food. It can't actually really hurt you. I mean, if it smacked you with one of those wings, that probably wouldn't feel great, but it's not super dangerous to humans. All right, next one. Is it dangerous? The camel spider. Hands up if you think it's dangerous. It is not dangerous. They do not have any poison. They have no venom, and they're not actually spiders. They're in the arachnid family, but they're not actually spiders. My brother saw some of these when he was overseas serving in the military, and uh, he liked to prank his friends by putting them in their rooms. Um, all right, next one. The freshwater snail. Is it dangerous? Hands up if you think so. It is absolutely really dangerous. They are filled with parasites, and if one of these happens to get near you or you're in contact with one of them, you get something called snail fever, and you don't want it. It's parasites that make you really sick. Gross. Um, all right, next one. Vampire bat. Is it dangerous? Hands up. Okay, this is a yes and no. Yes, it might bite you. It's not likely to bite you but it might bite you. If it does bite you, it won't really hurt you that badly. It won't do a whole lot of damage, um, but they don't generally bite humans. So technically not dangerous, but I don't want to get bit by that thing. Look at it. Gross. All right, next one. You should, this one should be easy. Elephant. Is it dangerous? Hands up. Extremely dangerous. <laughs> Look at the size of it. If it decides it doesn't want to put up with any of your nonsense anymore, you're in big trouble, okay? Look at this adorable creature. Look at these adorable creatures. 
Is it dangerous? Yes. Yes. For whatever reason, these things like to knock people out of their boats. Just for fun? I don't know. They just attack people. They are very dangerous. They'll knock you out of your boat and then take a bite. It's not good. All right, how about this guy? This is the milk snake, not the milkshake, the milk snake. Is it dangerous? Hands up. No. Neil knows his snakes. It is not dangerous. People think it's dangerous because it looks like a coral snake, which is very poisonous, but these guys can't hurt you. And apparently there's a, uh, in the snake handling community, there's a saying to tell the difference between this milk snake and a coral snake. The saying is, if red is touching black, then it's safe for a jack. If red is touching yellow, it'll kill a fellow. <laughs> I'm just going to stay away from all of them. I'm not doing the nursery rhyme to figure it out. I'm just gone. I'm out of there. Last one. The Goliath bird eater. You're welcome for the nightmare fuel, by the way. Is it dangerous? Actually, it's not. If you're a bird or you have a pet bird, it's dangerous. <laughs> but if you're a human, it is not. Again, I don't want to find out. I don't want to have to do the research to figure out if this is different than other dangerous spiders. I'm just, I'm out. I'm out of there. All right, this is silly. Obviously, this is a silly introduction. But, you know, we talk about dangerous justice and mercy today. Um, it's a fun way to enter the topic. But, but there, there's sometimes confusion about what do we mean when we say dangerous? And, and what is actual danger and what isn't danger, right? Um, and why do we choose to use this term when we talk about justice and mercy? What are we called to do in terms of justice and mercy? And if we're saying it's dangerous, is it worth it? So that's what we're here to do today. Um, we're going to um, continue in our series here, finish our series here about identity. Uh, and today, as we talk about dangerous justice and mercy, I just want to say this is our final week of the series. Uh, I can't even really do a deep dive into this topic. It's gonna, there's going to be a lot of generalizations and some, some ideas, maybe. But, but with every one of our, our pillars of strategy, these are going to be fleshed out in an entire sermon series. We need to do a whole sermon series on what loving community is. And in the same way, we need to do a whole sermon series on what dangerous justice and mercy is. So I can't do justice, pun intended. Uh, I can't do justice to this topic today fully. I can't really dig deep, but I want to get us started in thinking and praying, okay? I, I won't even get too deep into the weeds of all the different areas of justice and mercy that the Bible kind of inspires us to invest in. Uh, that'll have to come later in a full series, but today we're going to get a deeper dive into, uh, into what key terms mean. What do the key terms mean? Mercy, what does that mean? Justice, what does that mean? Dangerous, what do we mean when we say dangerous justice and mercy? But I want to start with a, a great passage of scripture um, that, that's going to kick us off today. It's one that I've memorized because it's just such an important, uh, I think, passage to help us understand who God is and what he cares about. And it's found in the, the book of Micah. Now, Micah was a prophet uh, writing to the people of Judah somewhere uh, between, you know, 750, 720 B.C., something like that. And he's writing to the people of Judah. Now, notice I didn't say he's writing to the people of Israel. At this point in the history of God's people, they, they basically had a civil war and divided. And the northern kingdom is called Israel, and their capital is Samaria. Remember that, Samaria. The southern kingdom is called Judah, and their capital is Jerusalem. And they are no longer friends. The tribes have split, and now they are separate nations. And, and Micah is writing to the, the southern kingdom of Judah around or just after the time that the Assyrians have conquered 
the, the northern kingdom. So the, the northern kingdom of Israel has been conquered. It is now part of Assyria. And, and the Babylonian empire, about 100 years uh, after he writes this, is going to conquer the southern kingdom. And he's warning them, this is going to happen if you continue to be unfaithful to God. Why is this context important? Well, Israel and Judah are becoming like these conquering nations. Israel compromises over and over again and comes more and more like Assyria. Idol worship, oppression of the poor, the weak trampled upon. Israel becomes like this, and, and Judah is becoming like this, becoming more like Babylon, worshiping false gods. They're becoming like their future conquerors, and, 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 and God's judgment on these nations comes in the form of him removing his protective hand, and they're conquered. And it's in this context that Micah is calling. The Babylonian exile, the conquering of Judah, is not a prescribed thing. They can still turn around. They can still become faithful to God again. It doesn't have to go like this. And that's what Micah is calling them to. He's like, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be like Israel with what happened with Assyria. So I just want to read this verse because I think it helps set the tone for this. And we're going to come back and finish the sermon with this verse as well. He has shown you, O mortal. This is Micah speaking on behalf of God to the people of Judah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. And to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. More on that later, but let's be clear. Micah is speaking on behalf of God and he's saying justice and mercy are at the center of my vision for my people and for this world. It's very important. The, the, the scriptures are littered with language of justice and mercy. So let's start with this. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy, in my house growing up, was when my brother was beating me up and I finally was like, okay, I give up. I would say, mercy, mercy. <laughs> uh, but that's not, that's not what, what biblical mercy is. The, the best translation for, for mercy is loving kindness. Loving kindness. One of the my favorite examples of scripture uh, of, of mercy being demonstrated is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you may be familiar with that parable, or at least you understand the concept of a Good Samaritan. But I just want to recap it really quickly. We're going to do a deep dive into it this summer when we look at many of the parables of Jesus, and I'm going to love that series. But um, in this parable, a, a man, a, 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 an Israelite or a, a Judahite, is, is walking from J uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, right? And is beaten, robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. A priest walks by and is like, ew, not my problem, and goes on. And then a, a Levite walks by, and the Levites were, were like the holiest tribe of Israel. They're supposed to carry out the law by the letter. And the law would have probably prescribed they do something for this man, but they're like, eh, not, not my problem. I don't want to touch that guy. I got things to do. And then a Samaritan I told you that was going to come back. A Samaritan comes by, sees this man on the side of the road, takes care of him, takes him to a, an inn, uh, binds, uh, cleans the wounds, helps him recover, tells the innkeeper, I have to go keep him here, take care of whatever he needs, and I'll pay whatever bill is necessary. 
And, and this is a parable that Jesus is telling about what it means to be merciful. In fact, he's saying, this is what I mean when I say love your neighbor as yourself. He goes beyond what they would have said. Another time Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your friends, hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. You see what's going on here is Jesus is using these characters, the evil Samaritans. We had a civil war for them for a reason. We don't like them. But Jesus makes them the hero of the story. They're the ones that truly honors God's heart for mercy, for loving kindness. It's a beautiful story and it flips our ideas on our head. What does it mean to love our neighbor? It means we cross boundaries. We cross boundaries to show love and mercy to people who need it. And be clear, what he did was dangerous. One of the key things that people would do on this road, it was a pretty dangerous road in general from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, one thing that would happen along that road is people would fake that they were dead and when someone would come in and try to help them, they would rob them. Yeah. So he, did, he, he took danger. He took a dangerous step to say, you know what, I might be putting myself at risk, but I cannot leave this man on the side of the road to die. I, I have to help. That's dangerous mercy right there. And I love that. Loving kindness. It, it, was, it was personal cost to himself. He had to put money down to make sure this guy would be okay. And then later it says he followed up to make sure this guy was okay. To be a people that God is calling us to be, we have to be a people of loving kindness, of mercy. And we talked a bit about this and we'll flesh it out more, but that's in here. That's this loving community that we seem to cultivate here in the family of God, and we welcome more and more people into it. But loving kindness is something that we have to offer to the stranger or even the enemy, like we hear about in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the dangerous step of loving kindness. This Judahite walking along the road, and it's his enemy who loved him. It's powerful. Jesus takes away all of our excuses for not showing mercy with this parable, for not acting with loving kindness with all that we encounter. We can't control how kind and merciful other people will treat us, but we are in control with how we live out mercy. We've received incredible mercy from God. The Bible says that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And then who are we to not show gratitude for that mercy by offering it to others? even if it costs us something. So that's mercy, loving kindness. What is justice? That's the wrong word. What is justice? <laughs> well, we're going to get there in a minute. We'll get there in a minute. I want to make clear, like sometimes when we use this word justice, um, like in an action movie, justice, it's like, Batman. It's more vengeance than justice, right? Uh, biblical justice is, is far beyond the idea of justice, the way we talk about it maybe in the criminal, criminal justice system here in our culture. Justice is not primarily about punishment, but I do want to be clear, there are consequences for our actions. And so before we define justice, and this, this passage of scripture will help us a little bit define justice, but before we define it, I, I want to see kind of what's at stake here. And this is Matthew 25. This is Jesus' words. And I'm going to read the whole thing. And I want us to live in the tension of it. It says this. 
Then the king will say to those, sorry, when the son of man comes in all his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did that for me. Now here's the uh-oh part. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And we did not help you. He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay, interactive, I need to see hands in the air or not. Based on that verse, how many people would agree that Jesus seems to be saying that our eternal salvation is tangled up with our pursuit of mercy, justice, and righteousness? Nobody? I'll raise my hand. It's pretty explicit. I don't know. <laughs> this is where it gets tricky. Is Jesus really saying that our pursuit of justice and mercy, is that what saves us? And this is a great question. The easy answer is not really, but, but the hard answer is they're not disconnected. Part of the reason, and you just please indulge me in this little Bible nerd detail I want to go on for a second. It's just, it's really powerful and meaningful, and uh, hopefully it, it helps. The English language has two word families for a concept of just and a concept of right. So words like justification and justice go under one word family and words like righteousness and rightness and doing what is right go under another word family. Hebrew and Greek languages have one. They cannot be separated. So when the Apostle Paul is saying things like you're justified by your faith, Justification comes by faith. It's related to a sense of justice and righteousness. They can't be separated. They're a part of the same world, word family. When he says things like, you will receive a righteousness apart from the law through the grace of Christ. We can't dig too deeply in this today, but, but what Paul is saying 
And what we've separated these concepts in, in English, in the Hebrew and the Greek, what Paul is saying is that when you're justified by faith, you become people who do justice. You become more and more righteous. And, and we've unfortunately taken this word righteous to mean like personally holy. I don't, you know, cuss or smoke or watch bad movies or whatever. You know, like this personal holiness thing, that's not what righteousness means in the scriptures. It means you do rightly toward God and toward others. Righteousness is a relational thing toward God and toward others. So I wish I could dig deeper in detail, but I, biblically speaking, Righteousness, justice, salvation are intertwined. Your acts of mercy and justice don't save you, but we'll know it's the real thing when there is increased righteousness and justice in our lives. That's when we'll know it's the real deal. You see, justice, if I could uh, narrow it down to something that we can walk away with today, justice is ultimately the pursuit of God's shalom. Shalom. Shalom is this amazing context that we, we don't have a great, uh, a great synonym for this word, but this Hebrew word shalom, it means peace. But when we talk about peace, we usually talk about an absence of conflict, but shalom is more. It's life-giving. It's proactive. It's not just don't have conflict. It's let's breathe life into one another through loving kindness through mercy. Let's make sure we're in right relationship with God and one another. Let's be proactive. This idea of being right with God and right with the world. Everything is as it should be, as God wanted it to be. We sang in that last song, he's making all things new. God is restoring shalom. That's what he's up to. Everything new. All of the things that have poisoned this world will go away and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will perfectly restore shalom. It's beautiful. That's what God is up to. He's not looking at you and saying, oh, you broke one of my commandments. I gotta, I gotta dole out some justice. <laughs> He's not Walker, Texas Ranger. That would be Pastor Will. He's a God. He's a God who wants to forgive but he wants to restore. And he wants us to take part in that restorative work by making things right. We act justly and we love mercy when we partner with God to bring a sense of shalom where there once was injustice. We heal and we reconcile and we personally exhibit acts of mercy. And then we also build systems in our churches and in our communities that promote justice. What does that look like? It looks like business owners who pay their workers a fair wage. That's justice. It looks like business owners treating their employees fairly so that they might have a better life instead of taking advantage of them like we see so often in the way that business models work. It looks like people who have powers and in institutions, whether it's managing somewhere or working in a school or working in some other hall where there is power dynamics, it looks like the person with most of the power, laying down that power for the good of the people who are under them on the org chart. That's justice. It's not the way our world works, but that's shalom in those environments. It's, it's, it's people with power 
who claim to be Christians and, and, and will have a vision for how their institution can be lifted up to the oppressed. And when they don't, it's the rest of us calling them out and advocating for justice and mercy in those environments. That's justice. I don't want to get too much into politics because I don't want to get booed off the stage. <laughs> When we do interact with power structures like government and political forces, we need to care more about a candidate's commitment to shalom, to the oppressed and the voiceless, than what their policies can do for my retirement account. And if we ever want to really have a faithful witness for justice in our context, we have to get out of the false choice that we have to be fully committed to a, a, a Democrat or a Republican agenda. We need to be committed to a Jesus-shaped agenda of sacrificial loving kindness and justice where those who are disregarded and dismissed have a voice and are cared for. Imagine if Christians who leaned Republican actually criticized Republican politicians when they speak, act, and legislate unjustly. Or... Crazy as it sounds, what if they praise their opponents when they speak, act, and, and, and legislate in a just way? Imagine if Christians who lean Democrat actually criticize Democrats, etc. You get what I'm saying? But instead, we're told we have to just be one or the other. And we got to win, so we can't criticize our guy. He's got to win, or she's got to win, right? All right, I'm getting on a rant. <laughs> The world sees this. The world sees us compromise our values. The world sees us throw out shalom when we back candidates who don't promote shalom. And we say we speak for Jesus and then they see this happen and they go, well, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Our witness matters and the way that we interact in that arena matters. Are we promoting shalom? Okay, well, last thing, last definition. Why dangerous? And I'm putting this book up here because this is, this is a book that's really helped me understand dangerous justice. This is by uh, Kevin uh, Burgess. He goes by the name KB. He's a Christian hip-hop artist and author, and he's brilliant. He has a way with words that I wish I had. Why is justice and mercy dangerous? Well, KB says, we're dangerous. When we're committed to shalom, when we're committed to investing in systems and structures that lift up the poor and oppressed, we are gonna turn over tables. We're gonna upset the status quo and the world will see us as dangerous. And that's kind of fun, isn't it? It's kind of cool to be dangerous. My middle name is Danger. And I love that. That's a new wrinkle for me, the idea that, that we go out as peacemakers, but we are seen as dangerous because we will upset the status quo so that the voiceless can be heard and the suffering can be cared for. But it's also dangerous in this way. And KB talks about this in our book, in his book as well. I would, I would uh, suggest you get it. It's very good. Jesus says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must carry their cross and follow me. The cross is not a metaphor for Jesus. He hung on it and died. It's not a metaphor. He gave up safety for the good of others. To be a disciple of Jesus means it might cost us something to be faithful to justice and mercy. 
It might cost us money as we invest in other people so that their lives might be better. And organizations that are lifting people up and caring for people. The return on our investment may not come in this life. But sacrificial giving that way is what Jesus calls storing up treasure in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal and moth and rust cannot destroy. It's going to cost us something. You know, I've seen recently that being committed to mercy and justice might cost us friends. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, interact with a lot of um, pastors, ministry leaders, theologians, and things like that. And uh, someone that I'm friends with saw this rise in, in violence and hate crimes against Asian people in the United States over the last few years. And it's true, the statistics bear it out. It's, it's just absolutely heartbreaking what's going on. And this person was saying, in the name of Jesus, can we speak up for our Asian brothers and sisters who don't deserve to be treated this way? In the name of Jesus, can we speak up for them and say, enough is enough, we won't tolerate this anymore? And you know what this pastor got called? Woke, a social justice warrior, other things that were far worse than that that I won't repeat. And he lost friendships over it. They didn't want anything to do with him anymore. People who th- he thought were his theological, you know, Christian leader friends said, I'm done with you. That's heartbreaking. But I want to have, I, I want to hope I hope to have the courage that I would be willing to lose friends if it meant speaking up for people created in God's image. That's a high cost, but it's worth it. For many Christians around the world, and this is not our experience, but for many Christians around the world, speaking up for justice actually can get you killed. Christian persecution happens all over the world. And we may not experience it, but we can't bury our heads in the sand while that's going on. We need to pray and we need to draw attention to this. We need to to give so we can support these people. We need to advocate. And there's so much more I can say about what makes justice and mercy dangerous. But again, that's a full series on its own. But we have to ask ourselves to be the church that God wants us to be. Are we willing to risk something? I, I, I hope so. The other thing I want to kind of close with today is we do have a lot of work to do, right? This is, in most churches, this is the least fleshed out area of strategy. The first three, you know, loving community, authentic worship, and and discipleship, those things tend to be more prioritized. Um, And I think we got some work to do to, to, to be present in our community in a way that promotes mercy and justice. But I also want to highlight a few things that we already are part of that I would love to invite you to maybe participate in. The first is this. Foster the city. You want to talk about dangerous justice and mercy? Become a foster parent. Imagine inviting someone into your home who wasn't there a week before. And you don't know what their story is and what they're bringing into your home. And you know your expenses are just about to go through the roof. And you know your whole life rhythm has been disrupted. Tell me that doesn't cost something. Even, even more costly, imagine opening up your home to a child, knowing that the number one goal is reunification with the parents. That's the best case scenario. And so you might have to rip your own heart out and give that child back because that's what's best. Man, Foster the City is an amazing ministry that is working for 
mercy and justice in our community. And I would just say, if you've got even the littlest tug on your heart right now for the words that I'm saying, get out your phone and just type in fosterthecity.org. Here's a list of info meetings that are coming up um, where you can find out more information. You're not committing to anything. You find out more information about what it means to be a foster parent or a support family. We want to raise up five support families for every foster family we have in this church. And we've got two right now. And so I'd encourage you, join us at one of these meetings. Find out what that looks like to become a support family. Support that, that family that says, yes, I will take this risk of faith because I think Jesus is calling me to it. It's also uh, Foster Care Awareness Month of May, so there's some great resources on their website just to kind of inspire you and, 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 and challenge us as well. Um, here's another area of justice and mercy that we're working on. We've, we've worked with Compassion Network on something called the um, Afghan Welcome Program, something Compassion Network uh, put together. And then we did our year-end gift, our, our, our year-end gift in December towards this and raised thousands of dollars to continue helping welcome Afghan refugee families to Fremont. And it's a really cool program where we take them shopping, get them some of the bare, bare necessities, start building relationships with these folks and help them get plugged into the, all the different things that have to happen when you go from one place to another. Now, let's play a game of is it dangerous? Is that dangerous? No. But 20 years ago, you might have said something differently. Because for a long time, we were told people from that part of the world are dangerous and we're supposed to be scared of them. And what we find is when we join in relationship with them is there's nothing to be scared of and we build real meaningful relationships. We off, we've offered ESL for, for people in our communities who are trying to build a life here and English is such an important part of that. Through Compassion Network, we've given thousands of diapers um, to families because we know how expensive that is. And we've built relationships through these Compassion Network things, friendships that are turning into missional communities, and it's just a beautiful thing to see mercy and justice turn into family. That's what's happening. If you want to know more about Compassion Network, Ruth Ritter will always talk to you about it. One of the things that we've been doing, and uh, I didn't plan on saying this, and I, I know I'm going long, but one of the things that, that we are doing uh, is we've got when we meet these families through these different ways, these Afghan families that are resettling here, we often um, find out that they've got other needs, specifically furniture. And so we've got people willing to donate furniture, and we've got houses ready to receive furniture, and we need people to help move that furniture. So if you have even a little bit of muscle, talk to Ruth. There's been too many times where the need hasn't been met because we couldn't do it in time and the people just got rid of the furniture. That should, man, that shouldn't happen. We should, be able to do, we should be able to do that simple thing, right? And so I would love for, for the young men in our church to step up and say, I'll, I'll figure out how to be there and we'll lift those couches. And we'll give you service hours, you high school students, so no excuses. <laughs> We're also working towards some things around abuse, care, and advocacy. The statistics of how many people experience abuse are staggering, and we don't talk about it in church. A third of females are sexually abused at some point in their life. That's, that's completely unacceptable. And if we're not talking about that in church, because we had to say the word sex and that feels gross, like, that's shameful. We have to address these things that are happening right here, often under our noses. 
We know we live in the Bay Area where unhoused people uh, are, are all around us. And what, what can we possibly do to maybe make a difference in the city of Fremont? We've got many areas of justice we can continue to address. Often, the question gets posed to me, what is the church going to do about that? And my response is, great question. We're the church. What is the church going to do about that? Our pastors and elders and, and our ministry leaders cannot do everything that God is calling us to do. And we need people to step up and to say, you know what? I will risk something. I'll give, at the very least, I'll risk my time. At the very least. So that we can bring more and more shalom to the community that God has called us to. Last thing I want to say before we close in worship. I want to read Micah 6.8 one more time. But before I do, a little more context about Micah 6.8. I told you people are worshiping false gods. They're oppressing others or they're looking the other way while people are suffering. And all the while, you know what they're doing? They're still going to the temple and doing their sacrifices like the, like the Torah tells them to do. They're still going to the temple to make the sacrifices. They're still doing all the religious observances that they're supposed to do. And just before Micah gets to this verse, he's saying, enough. You hypocrites, essentially. Don't show up and do the religious stuff and then go worship false gods and trample on the oppressed and the weak. Whatever offering you bring, I reject it. The songs you sing, I don't hear them. Amos says the same thing in Amos 4. I, just, I, I stop up my ears when you sing your song until you let justice roll like a river. And it brings it back to it. Our, our, we can't just pray a prayer and Jesus save me and then the rest of our life goes on if nothing changes. It leads to righteousness and justice and mercy. And it's in that context that Micah reminds him of what matters. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I invite the band to come back up. My hope is not to lay a spiritual guilt trip on anyone ever, right? But the truth is that Jesus is making all things new. He is at work now as Lord over all creation, bringing shalom, and one day it will be perfected in the new heaven and the new earth where he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's making all things new and he's inviting us to participate. With every step of faith that we encourage here at FCC, that I challenge myself here with at FCC, it's not just because I want to guilt trip and say, God needs you to do this. No, he's inviting us in. When we live lives of justice and mercy, we meet Jesus because that's where he is and that's the work that he's doing. He's on the front lines of reconciling all things to himself. And he's saying, come on, come on. It's exciting. Look what God's doing. Come on, join me. You'll be changed. You'll experience life abundant. Come on, come with me. That's the invitation that Jesus has for us today. So let's lean into that. Let's pray. God, what do you want me to do? What areas of of, of justice and mercy are you calling me to participate in? How can I help? How can I give? How can I serve? What is it, what is it going to cost? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day.
Thank you for, for Mother's Day. I, it's hard to imagine greater loving kindness than what we see from, from mothers when they care and nurture their children. Thank you that you give us this vision of you as a loving and kind parent. Thank you that you've been merciful to me, to us. Thank you that in your, in your grace, you justify us by faith. We are lost without it. And Lord, help us not to take that for granted and sit on the sidelines that we are a part of the movement that you're doing to reconcile all things to yourself through justice and mercy. Give us hearts to say yes to your invitation, God. Give us the faith and courage to, to say whatever it costs. I want to meet Jesus there on the front lines. Lord, we love you, and we want to demonstrate our love for you in, in real life ways. Help us, God. Fill us with your spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.